Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. No matter how far you drove, how many hours ago you started getting ready or even pointing in this direction, the fact is we're here and let's let the Spirit of God continue to do what He has already started here in this service. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Amen. I want you to pay careful attention to this. The Bible says that the, in, in verse number three, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and then it was confirmed to us by them that heard him. And then now, verse number four, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. How shall we escape, the Bible says, if we neglect? Verse number one says we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, lest at any time time we should let them slip i believe that there is no point in our lives there is no place on this journey we can let our guard down wipe our brow and say i've got it made because he would the devil would just as soon have you at 80 as he would at 18 amen and if the lord will help me tonight i want to preach to you from this subject the danger of drifting the danger of drifting Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. If you will, keep your Bibles open to this passage because we're going to be referring back here to these four scriptures as we go along. The writer of, the, of Hebrews has spent the first chapter exalting the name of Jesus Christ and establishing the position of Jesus Christ. And then he pauses in the beginning of chapter 2 to apply what has already been stated or what's already been written. And so when we read the second chapter, always remember two things. Number one, this is a powerful warning. Amen. It is a very powerful warning. And then we need to also understand that the writer is addressing the church. And so this is speaking not just randomly to whosoever will, but the Lord is speaking to his elect. And I think uh, that it's worth also noting that the writer of Hebrews, a lot of conjecture about who is the author of Hebrews, and that's not uh, the the point of discussion tonight, so I I will just refer to this as the author of Hebrews. But I do appreciate the fact that, that in this particular passage, we note the word and the use of the word we, we. He said, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed And so by using that word, I believe that they are letting the listener and every reader know that they face the same temptations. They live in the same world, wear the same skin, walk the same path. I've tried to be very intentional through the last 30 some odd years and speak in the same fashion. I don't want to just stand behind this desk and aim at other people and preach to others, but I've I've got to be saved myself. And so there are times that I um, want to preach to myself when I stand in the pulpit. And there, there are times that 
that I'm stepping on my own toes. Amen. I hope that's all right. <laughs> my wife and I do not live in some ivory tower exempt from the troubles and the trials of everyday life. And so uh, things that you face, we, we face the same thing. And uh, the power company has no sympathy, no more sympathy on us than they have on you. And uh, you, you, you run off and leave something running, they charge you at the end of the month. They don't care what, what the excuse may be, not that we've ever offered one, but what I'm saying is that, that here we're just in the same world that everybody else is in. So in like fashion, I, I suppose that endears me to this particular passage because it's an inclusive statement that we are in this together. I can relate to that. And so he included himself. And so the danger that he is confronting here is twofold and rather straightforward. With regard to our salvation, he writes or implies, I think I'm, I can use that word safely, that we are, either are, we are either drifting because of neglect or we're growing because of deliberate effort. There is no neutral position in the kingdom of God. And I know that that statement has been rendered from uh, behind pulpits all across America and around the world, and I think sometimes we are yet to really get the impact of that statement. There is no such thing as a neutral position in the kingdom of God. We're either drifting or we're growing. We're not just hanging out. We're not just standing still because we have an adversary that is trying to pull down to destroy, to pluck up, to steal the seed of anything that could be planted in our hearts. So we have to be very, very intentional. No one grows by accident. Nothing good happens by accident. You won't wake up one day just more spiritual than you were the day before. You have to be diligent. You have to be intentional about spiritual growth. And so verse one says, give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time, we should let them slip. I think there's a lot of implications of that particular statement, and, and uh, I think that we could, at any time during the day, we could let our guard down. Any time during the week, we could let our guard down. But I also think that there are times and seasons of our lives that we could allow the guard of defense and the shield to come down. And so we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, the things that we have received, lest at any time we should lose that. We should lose a grip of that. Another translation of the word slip here used in this passage is the word drift. And that's why I'm using that uh, in my title tonight. And so the danger of uh, allowing something to slip from us that we've already received or something to be stolen from us that we have already, that we have already uh, had issued. And so we can't drift. I, I often think about uh, the subtle nature of drifting uh, in a boat. Some of you or any of you are, have ever been in around or on a boat understand this, that uh, on a boat or in a boat speed is exponentially exaggerated. I don't really understand that. I'm sure someone in this world could explain that and dot every I and cross every T. But for example, 30 miles an hour on land is one thing. But when you're going 30 miles an hour on the water, it seems much, much faster. Is anybody with me? That, that speed just, just seems to be very, very different. Yet the opposite of that seems to be true when it comes to land, standing on the ground. If you're standing on the ground, you, you could, the slightest, your foot doesn't have to slide, but just a couple of inches before you realize that you're sliding or that you're drifting. But in the water, when you're on the water, drifting is so very subtle until you can hardly detect it at all. The slow, methodical movement of the current just seems to be soothing until all at once you realize that you have drifted way further than you ever dared imagine. And so while drifting, we are lured or lulled into this false sense of security. An old Puritan wrote this in the year 1891. He said, on how many beaches or how many rocky shores do the hulls of great ships and the bones of gallant men tell the danger that is hidden in drifting? Amen. Let me say that one more time. Many, many years ago, he penned on how many beaches 
or how many rocky shores? Do the hulls of great ships or the bones of gallant men tell the danger that's hidden in drifting? Before they knew it, it was just too late. Before they could even turn the situation around, they had already ran aground or ran to the rocks. And so if everyone in this building were to be honest, and I'm not implying that you're not, but if we were to be honest, we would have to say that at some point in our walk with God, we have found ourselves drifting. There's a real possibility that I'm preaching tonight to somebody that's drifting right now as we speak. Hebrews chapter two denotes a few points that we just simply cannot ignore. The very first is found in verse number three. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So great salvation. I've not forgotten the night I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is a moment frozen in time. I will never forget that moment. I'll never forget that experience. And I have often referred to two different experiences in my life. When I was seven years old, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and when I was 17 years old, thir- uh, 10 years later, uh, I received something in th- that second time. I'm not implying that I didn't get the Holy Ghost the first time, but there was something so much more significant to me at that moment. It, I'm sure it had a lot to do with age and, and uh, different place and time in my life, but I'll never forget n- neither of those instances where the Spirit of God so drastically touched my life, so great salvation, so great salvation. There was an old course that was very popular when I received the Holy Ghost as a young man in a, in a camp meeting in Ocala, and uh, they would sing a, a course very simple, I got it, I got it. Something about the power of the Holy Ghost, I can't explain it, but I got it. Amen, I feel it, I feel it. Something about the power of the Holy Ghost, I can't explain it. But I feel it. I, I'm going to tell you, anybody that has the Holy Ghost, whether you've ever even heard that course or not, you can relate to those words. There's just something about it. I, I may not be able to define it. I, I may not be able to put it on a shelf that you can even reach it, but I'm going to tell you, I know, I know that I got it. It was an experience, that great salvation, that burden, that weight that was lifted. And so the salvation that has been offered to us through Jesus Christ is frankly beyond description. Salvation is great for so many, many reasons and I am not gonna try to present an exhaustive list here tonight because we could stand and go on and on and when I have thought of everything to talk about the greatness of God, I could hand you the microphone and we could start all over because you just can't exhaust the greatness of God. But I'm gonna tell you the one thing that I will, uh, I think we can relate to in, in this sense is that one reason salvation is so great is because it's for everybody. It's not just for a select few. It's not for people that have it all together. It's not for people of a certain genetic design or makeup. It's not for certain people of some social status or economic status, but it is for the rich, the poor, the educated, and the illiterate. Everybody needs salvation and everybody can have the Holy Ghost, hallelujah. Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad I didn't get called out of the crowd. I'm glad that I didn't get called down. But if we aren't so careful, especially in our church vernacular, and hear me now, in our church vernacular, we can use words so often until they just kind of lose their significance. And the word salvation is one of those words. We can talk about being saved, and we can talk about the salvation experience, the Holy Ghost, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And if we're not careful, that can just be a term after a while. And we can forget about that significant moment that the Spirit of God ministered in our lives and our lives was changed. But I don't ever want to take that for granted. I don't want to forget where I was, nor do I want to forget where I could be today, oh, so many years later. I'm thankful for the freedom that comes with my salvation, and I don't want to ever lose that freedom. I don't ever want to lose that freedom. Brother Rayleigh has alluded tonight to the men that he has ministered to that don't know that freedom tonight. They are incarcerated. And uh, this week, as a matter of fact, either last night or this morning, I watched a short clip. It was just a little news article that came up on my computer, and I don't know anything about the case or the details or anything of that nature, but I just watched a few-second clip 
uh, of two young women that were standing before a judge. I, I have no idea what their crime was, but I, I, I was in so impacted by uh, what happened at this moment and as the judge began to address them and, and the crimes that they committed obviously it, it had to have been a pretty, uh, a pretty hideous crime and, and so as the judge began to, the, the, the female judge began to address these two young ladies and talk to them about the crime that they had committed and, and, and in a moment she pronounced their sentence and their sentence was death their sentence was death. And when she said, I now sentence you to death, when she said those words, those two young ladies fainted on the spot in that courtroom. They passed out. They went out completely cold and people began to work with them. And I thought about, oh, I'm not saying they didn't deserve that. I'm not the judge or the juror. But I'm thought, I'm, I just thought about the impact to realize that you were sentenced to death. That it, your life as you knew it, life as it was, and her mother began to stand and cry out even though it, they had to usher her out. She began to cry out and cry out her daughter's name. And, and, and oh, I just thought of the horror, the horror of that particular moment. I'm gonna tell you, I don't wanna forget. I don't wanna forget the weight of sin. I don't want to forget the burden of sin. I don't want to forget the moment when the Spirit of God reached down and lifted the guilt and the weight and the shame, hallelujah, of sin. Praise God. There's a word in this verse that should call everyone to arms, and that word is escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How are we going to explain this away if we just neglect so great salvation? The, 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 every word in this warning alludes to some situation of great peril because sin was introduced to the world. We were all born under the condemnation of sin. Romans 6 and 23 teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Salvation isn't something you do when you get around to it. Salvation isn't something you do when you find a convenient moment or season of your life. Amen, we need to be saved. Salvation is about the blood of Jesus Christ rescuing us from the wrath that is to come. Not a fairy tale. This is not something that's make-believe. This is not something in the sweet by and by, but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I tell you that salvation is man's greatest need. We can get by without a lot of the toys and the trinkets of life, but we can't get by without the blood. We can get by without titles. We can get by without towers. We can get by without our names being plastered across the sign, but we can't get by without the blood, Brother Rayleigh. I gotta have the blood applied to my life. I'm thankful to be saved. Salvation is a great gift in part because of the giver of the gift. When you begin to read chapter two, it begins with the word therefore. Therefore points back. Therefore looks over the shoulder. Therefore points back to the preceding chapter or what has just been said. Chapter one describes the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It sets forth the doctrine of Jesus Christ. After this has been established, then the word or the author gives a word of instruction. And so with that said, I will say that doctrine must be established in order to have instruction. We've got to have a foundation before you ever start building anything. And yet we live in a day in this hour when many pastors and churches are minimizing doctrine. Too many times people think doctrine is too divisive. Can I tell you? It is. It is. It is, it is, it is. Amen, somewhere we have to draw a line in the sand. And we say, you know, doctrine's kind of a church word, but in all reality, we could take that same principle of doctrine and put that in everybody's individual life. We could put that in everybody's individual home because there are guidelines and rules, whatever you wanna call them, that you raise your children by, things that kind of guard and guide your own particular house. And there are some things that parents have said, no, not, not in this house. This is not gonna take place in this house. And if we were to spiritualize that moment, we could call that doctrine. Does that make sense? And so we gotta have, we've gotta have some kind of guide and we gotta have something. And so we need to hold on. That's what, that's what the writer is saying. We've got to hold on to the things that have been handed to us, those things that define who we are, those things that describe the church 
cannot afford to stand silent on eternal matters. Hallelujah. Let me say it again. The church can't be can't be found with our hand over our mouth and hands over our eyes and fingers in our ears when it comes to eternal matters. I'm not being unkind when I say this. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. As a matter of fact, I specifically asked the Lord tonight to help me not be a smart aleck. But we need more than a life coach to fill pulpits in America. Amen. We need more than somebody to try to help us to shake hands and get along to fill our pulpits. We need the spirit and the power and the anointing and the authority of the spirit and the presence of God. Amen. It is the anointing. You know, we have said that the anointing breaks the yoke. That's not right. The Bible says that the anointing destroys the yoke. Amen. It's not just enough to break something. If you break something, the right person can probably put it back together. But he said of the anointing, the anointing will destroy the yoke of bondage. And so when we come into the house of God, we need an anointed service. Amen. Sunday, Wednesday. Tuesday, Friday. It doesn't matter when we come together. We need the anointing of God. Why? Because the anointing is what will destroy the chains of sin. We need the power and the presence of an almighty God. We need a church that's awake. We need a church that's on fire. We need a church that is anointed. We don't need someone. We do not need someone that's asleep at the wheel. Hallelujah. The writer of Hebrews wants us to see the connection between the doctrines of Jesus Christ in chapter one and the exhortation, therefore, or he is saying therefore, in other words, for this reason in chapter two, for this reason, this is why, this is why, amen, when you talk all about Jesus and his power and his position, and then in chapter two he said, and this is why, this is why, I own a few things that, that you may not find all that valuable. However, for me, you see, it isn't just the item. It isn't just the gift, but, uh, but tangled up in that, woven into the fabric of the gift is the giver of the gift. And that's what makes the gift so special. And I'm not implying that the Holy Ghost is not special, but I'm gonna tell you what makes it even more special is that it's not just a gift, but the giver of the gift, the supreme price that was paid for this gift to come our way. Oh, I'll tell you today, the gift of salvation could never be described. It could never be explained. It could never be exhausted. But oh, if you think the Holy Ghost is something, if you think being filled the Spirit of God is something. Wait until you meet the giver of the gift. <laughs> Hallelujah. In the presence of the giver of the gift. Oh, my sorrows are turned to joy. In the presence of the giver of the gift. Oh, hallelujah. The spirit of the giver, the spirit of the giver of the gift can take my trembling hand and add stability to my steps. And when the fog of uncertainty has closed in on my mind and my heart and doubt is trying to put out the fire of hope, the giver of the gift can walk in with a lantern of truth and light and love and hope and dispel all of those spirits. Oh, I gotta make sure that I'm not allowing something to slip. I gotta make sure that I'm not allowing something to slip that's gonna be significant, that's gonna be important to me. Amen, how can we escape if we neglect so great salvation? But salvation is only great, it's only wonderful, it's only marvelous if it's true. I've heard some pretty outlandish stories only to find out later they weren't true. You know, there's websites you can go and, and, and you can find out if something's just a rumor. And sometimes I forget about that little website and I hear something and and I might even repeat that. Did you know? Have you heard? And then all of a sudden you type in and, and you realize that it's just some story somebody started. It's just some little folklore. And, then, and you realize there's nothing to it at all. And so salvation is only wonderful. It's only indescribable if it's true. And so that is why I want to consider the salvation that I'm preaching about tonight. The scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord? Well, that's one thing of just one person's talking about it. Amen, that's a wonderful 
simple thing of just one person is walking around town talking about this. But then, then the writer says, it wasn't just spoken by the Lord, but it was confirmed to us by them, by those, by them that heard him. Amen. Those that walked with him. Those that talked with him. Those that touched him. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know if you've ever heard about six degrees of separation and I'm not trying to, uh, to get into all that, but the theory is that somebody you know knows somebody that you know knows somebody that you know that, and we're all connected around the world. Amen. I, I'm not here to debate that. I'm just planting a seed in your mind. But here tonight, we are connected. We are connected with people that really know they were walking with him. They were talking with him. Hallelujah. They, they were there when the blinded eyes were opened. They were there when the dead was raised alive. They were there. They were there. They saw the spirit and the power of God. And so the point that we need to take away from this is this, that the gospel comes to us from those that directly witness the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the, this gospel this that we're talking about is not the end result of man's best effort. This is not the end result of some of the brightest brains in the world getting together and trying to figure out how to fix man and the sin problem. And they come out and they say, here, we have an answer. No, it is not the end result of man's best problem. But the, the, the salvation, the gospel, is a matter of revelation. It's a matter of historical fact. Can I tell you that? Jesus really lived. Hallelujah. Amen. His teaching and his miracles were factually recorded in the gospels. He died on a cross and he gave his life. Amen. He rose from the grave on the third day and ascended into heaven. How do you know this? We know this because this wasn't done in secret. This wasn't done in silence. This wasn't done one foggy morning that only two people saw, but he came back and he walked and he revealed himself to hundreds after he hear me today. Hallelujah. If the apostles were making all of this up, they would have been laughed out of town. But when he came back, when he wasn't in that grave and he walked back among men, oh, they heard him. They saw him. Thomas said, if I could just touch him. And he said, here, Thomas, touch. He said, if I could just feel. He said, here, Thomas, feel. And the witnesses that confirmed, they confirmed. Oh, I'm thankful for salvation. Amen. The eyewitnesses, they were there. Amen. The apostles, the apostles were there. Oh, I'm thankful. Let me tell you something about the apostles. These were not men who were just going along with a fairy tale. They were not men that were just doing this as long as it was fun. These were not men that was doing this as long as the crowds were following them, as long as people were just walking behind them and singing their praises. No, these are men who went to their death. Amen. Paul had a, such an experience on the road to Damascus that when he come out of that experience, he said, if any other man or an angel comes preaching any other gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. These men, they gave their life for this. Are you hearing me tonight? This wasn't just some fuzzy warm moment they had. It's some experience that lasted a few years but they stood. Amen. They stood and said, I will not I will not disavow what I have seen with these eyes and what I have experienced. And they went to their grave. They went to their grave about this salvation. That's why we can't drift. That's why we gotta hold on. Amen. That's why we need somebody to remind us from time to time we gotta wake up. We gotta shake ourselves. We gotta wake ourselves. <clears throat> Amen. A few days ago, Brother Danny was telling me a story about my dad and I just kind of grinned because I could relate to it. He talked about my dad was a truck driver and he was talking about when he was a young man and would ride with my dad and my dad would not sleep. I mean, he could stay awake the longest of any human being I've ever met. He just ride and ride and ride. And he just wait for that moment that you fell asleep. Then all of a sudden, he'd hit the seat and scream, slam on brakes, and just scare you into just shave a year off your life right there on the spot. And you know what? He did that same thing when I was a young man. So it's, he never got over that. He never got past all that. And so you just need somebody to shake every now and then. You need somebody to scream. Hallelujah. You need somebody to get red in the face and 
say, wake up, wake up, wake up. Why? Because we're drifting. If we're not careful, we will let things slip that have already been planted in our heart. I'm gonna tell you, if God has convicted you of something, you ought to erase that off the chalkboard. Amen, and say, I'm not gonna visit that ever again. That's already settled in my heart. I'm not going back there. I'm not gonna dig up the old bones of yesterday. I don't want that to slip. I wanna get this in my heart. Nail that down. I wanna close that door. I wanna seal that off. And I'm moving on to something new in the Lord. Hallelujah. Salvation was confirmed by the miracles of the apostles. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 4, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. And so they're referring to the miracles that were performed by the apostles, or at the hand of the apostles in the book of Acts. And then the terms here are used, signs and wonders, and divers, that word means various miracles. And so they, they, are, they are all synonymous, really, in, in many, many ways, but they have different distinctions, signs, point to the fact that miracles have spiritual significance. They're a sign of something. I, I preached about signs. I know today we're kind of spoiled with GPS and everything else, but there was a day you only arrived at your destination if there were signs along the way. <laughs> a beautifully paved road would do you no good if there wasn't a sign. Beautiful mountainous scenery or desert scenery or whatever happens to be uh, appeals to you, whatever the scenery will do you no good if there's not a sign every now and then. And you know, I don't know how they've got it figured out and who decided how far to space them out, but it just seems like it works real well for me when you're riding down the road and just wonder, man, I wonder where in the world we are. All of a sudden, there's that sign. It just Atlanta, 189 more miles. Well, thank, thank God, hallelujah. I know I'm making a little headway, making, getting a little bit closer to the destination, a sign. And so there were signs, signs that pointed. They had spiritual significance. For instance, when the lame man was healed or a dead man was raised, it pointed to something beyond just the fact that the dead literally was raised to life or that the lame literally was healed but it pointed to a spiritual significance that those that were dead in sin could live again or those that had been crippled by sin oh hear me hear me hear me they could be they could be restored here they could be restored powerful powerful word pictures of how God could move in the souls of men Amen. Wonders emphasizes the human response of awe and wonder when the witnessing, when the witnessing of the Lord doing that that was humanly impossible. And then he talked about the divers' miracles and, and how the, the gifts of the Spirit would be handed out and appointed according to his own will. He emphasizes God's sovereignty in bestowing spiritual gifts as he sees fit for the purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul underlined that, that not everybody has the same gift. Not everybody has the same call. Not everybody has the same talent. Just like the human body. Every every vital organ, every member has a function uh, to the overall health and the well-being. You can think it's not significant. You can think you could get by with your, without your little finger. You can, you know, you don't even think about it a whole lot till you mash it or till you get a thorn in it or, to, or something gets wrong with it then you realize it's there. It lets the whole body know that something is wrong. Can I hear, can I, will you hear me tonight that there is no such thing as somebody being insignificant in the church. You may not have a position where people People see you week in and week out or hear your voice week in and week out. You may not have a gift that puts you in the forefront, but that doesn't mean that you are insignificant because the Bible says that he has placed us in the body and he has gifted us as he sees fit. As God said, I need this over here. And so don't ever begrudge serving where you're serving because somebody's got to serve there. Somebody must do it and we must do it with joy. Hallelujah. Salvation is so great. And because salvation is so great, hear me, there are severe consequences for neglecting salvation. Amen. According to our text, we are either holding fast or we're drifting. We're holding or we're slipping. We all drift at times, but... When confronted with the truth, we change course. I've, I've drifted. 
Amen. And even you silent people have drifted. Amen. All you righteous Pharisees staring back at me have all drifted. Every one of you have drifted. And then all of a sudden, a, a word came across. And, and you know what? It was like Nathan's old bony finger that come out of the sky and touches on the end of the nose like Nathan touched David on the end of the nose. And when we saw that, we repented of our ways. That didn't mean we had to get up and run around the church and scream, holler, jump off the eve of the church. But we just said, you know what? I gotta change. I gotta be different. I gotta get this right. I gotta fix this. I gotta make everything right. And so we just turned. We drifted a little bit, but we woke up. Something changed us. Something startled us. Something awakened us the spirit of God and so we must realize the consequences of neglecting our salvation is abundantly clear when we read the Bible now if I could I would just get on the roof and scream this next part amen from my soul if I thought it would do any more good the law the law imposed some very frightening penalties for disobedience and sometimes we read where God instantly sent punishment I mean instantly. Korah and a band of men rose up against Moses and said, you're taking too much on yourself. Why, who do you think you are? And the earth opened up and swallowed them. Now you would think that would have muted the entire camp. But there was another group that said, now Moses, look what you've done. Now why did you kill all these innocent people? And one more time, the earth yawned and swallowed up all them people. But it got pretty quiet after that. There were times that God's just judgment. He just judged, let my people go. He went to Pharaoh and he refused and God just sent plague right then. I mean, just boom. Numbers, I referred to that about Korah and we see the judgment of God all throughout the scripture. Not always in that fashion, but the judgment of God certainly is validated many times throughout scripture. And so I said all that to say this, we are fooling ourselves. If we think the gospel is less challenging than the law. We're also in danger if we think that we can just live any old way and get by. I'll come to church if I feel like coming to church. I'll worship when I get here if I feel like worshiping. I'll come and go as I please and nobody's going to tell me what to do and nobody's blah, 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 yah, yah, yah and it goes on and on and on and on. We're fooling ourselves if we think that the demands of the gospel are any less challenging than the demands of the law. Amen. I, I can't do whatever I want to do. I just can't have it my way. Amen. I heard, heard one man say, this is not, uh, we don't need a Burger King world where you can have it your way. We need a Wendy's world. We need an old-fashioned, hot, and juicy. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Amen. Some of you will repeat that. That's all right. You can do that. I borrowed it. You can borrow it. That's not how it's going to happen. Let's read something together here tonight. And, and that's in Hebrews 10, 29. Now I want you to follow this on the screen or in your Bible and underline it in your Bible or in your mind. Listen, the scripture says, how, of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. I'm just going to stay with my example. If Korah popped off to Moses and the earth swallowed up, the writer of Hebrews says, how much more punishment do you think is going to come to those who have trampled underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I, 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 I've got something all over me, and I can't get away from it. But the, the men of old desired to just peer into what we're bathing in tonight. Amen. You, you see why I prayed so hard not to be a smart aleck tonight? 
people of prophets of old desire to just peek in to what sometimes we're having to talk people into responding to. I'm not talking about random people either. Let me name a few. Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. (laughs) The list could go on and on. The who's who of the word of God. They just desired to peek, just to peek through and see. They've not experienced it. I I, I was sharing this with Brother Rayleigh. He come in my office long enough to get me fired up, so if you're mad, blame him. Amen. I forgot what I was going to say. The the men that have prophesied, Isaiah talked about that with stammering lips and an unknown tongue. He, He uttered that that was to come about and he died and left this world not even knowing the significance of those words. Joel said upon all flesh, I'm going to pour out my spirit Amen, your sons and daughters, they're gonna prophesy. There's gonna be dreams and visions. It's gonna come to pass. And then in Acts, Simon Peter stood when they said, what is all this about? They said, this is that. It was spoken by, Joel spoke this and left this world. He desired, he desired to taste it. He desired to feel it. Oh God, help us and forgive us if we neglect so great salvation. I'm gonna tell you, if it's church time, get away from the door. I'm coming in. If it's worship time, you better better move out of the way because I'm going to worship him. If it's prayer time, you better move out of the way because I'm going to pray. Why? Oh, how am I going to escape if I neglect so great salvation? How am I going to neglect it? So to drift away from the gospel, to drift away from the fire after you have experienced such a wonderful you're gonna have to explain that one day. Amen. I'm gonna have to explain why it took a stick of TNT to blow me off the pew. Get me excited. You're telling me that something as big as God can't move you? Something as big as God, Brother Trail, can't stir us. Oh, oh my. It better start stirring us. It better start moving us. It better start putting us on our face in an altar of prayer. Oh, something as big as God. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How are we going to explain trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus? As our musicians come, the cause of drifting, plain and simple, without taking a lot of time, the cause of drifting is neglect. If you've ever driven a boat, you know that if you do not deliberately keep it on course, you will drift with the current. And the stronger the current, the more attention you have to pay or give to keep the boat on course. So since we live in a world that is filled with evil and in a culture that is so given to drifting, they, they just come, I'm not done, so stay with me now. Because we live in a world that is so full of evil and so currents that are pulling, we better not go to sleep at the wheel. I don't know if you've been following the recent headline, but it certainly gives an appalling indication of what we're facing today. Just a few days ago, two 12-year-old girls stabbed their best friend 19 times. 
During the police questioning, one of the girls told the investigators that she regretted the stabbing, but she followed that up by saying, the bad part of me wanted her to die, while the good part of me wanted her to live 12 years old. The other girl was reported to have said, it was weird because I felt no remorse even though I knew it was wrong. Now, if you followed the story, you know where I'm going. Both girls went on to tell the investigators that they had planned to kill the girl to please Slenderman, a demon-like creature who plays on, preys on children. The girls said they read about this character on some website that publishes short, creepy stories. Quote, they planned to kill the girl because they had been convinced that if they would kill her, they would be allowed to live in Slender Man's mansion in a Wisconsin forest. The current of our world is pulling, 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 pulling. That's why parents can't be asleep at the wheel. That's why adults, we can't be asleep at the wheel because there's a current that's pulling. That's why we should never weary with anointed teaching and preaching. Why? Because there's currents. When we leave here tonight, there will be currents that have been pulling, 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 pulling. By the time we get back here Sunday, currents that if we're not careful, they will have pulled us off course. You see, it doesn't take active rebellion or defiance of, against God to go to hell. Just neglect, that's all. Just, just, just neglect. And he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And so the only antidote for drifting is pay attention. And, and I, I can't say this enough. I just can't say this enough. I, I, I feel, and I'm gonna be honest with you, there's a part of me that just feels antiquated when I say this. But if the world is beating a path to something, before you get in line, ask why. Ask why. And there are countless examples. Some, some as innocent as even found in children's toys that had sinister and demonic implications. Well, he said, boy, the preacher got out on the limb tonight. And you got parents going fist to cuffs trying to get their kids all in. The world's just beating a path to all this. And if we're not careful, the church is right in the middle of the tussle. Without backing up and saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whatever happened to spiritual discernment? Whatever happened to... To, to, to our own, uh, being accountable to our own self and saying, wait a minute now, I need the Spirit of God to help me, help me to, to understand and get some, I need to be paying attention here, I need to be careful. Hebrews 2 and 1, therefore ought we to give more earnest heed. It would have been enough, let's stand, it would have been enough if the Scripture had just said, Brother Junior Trail, Give heed. That would have been enough. If, he, if the scripture just said, give heed, lest these things slip. Give heed to what you have heard. It would have even been enough, more important, if the writer said, give earnest heed. But when you read, give the more burning places everything in a completely different category. We must be very diligent not to allow the noise of this hour to cause us to drift off course. We need to get back to the basics of this thing called salvation. So I ask you tonight, what about your prayer life? I ask you, how earnestly do you study the scriptures? What about fasting? Not just when the church is on some corporate fast, but what about just fasting you and the Lord? 
What about some alone time with God where you say, you know what? I just got to turn off the noise for a little while. And I got to get along with God. What about the things that you watch during the week or the things that you read during the week? I'm asking you, do you surround yourself with godly people that are striving to do good things? Do an inventory of your own life. Or are you surrounded by people that are carnal and worldly minded? I promise you they're influencing you. Whether you think it or not, they're influencing you. They're influencing you. Do you cut anything out of your life that would have an ill effect on your walk with God? These are all important questions because no one can answer that but you. Nobody can answer that but you. I don't, I don't mean this snide, but I'm not going home with you tonight. Furthermore, I'm not going to show up three hours after you get home, crawl around your head, just see what's going on. Is that all right? I don't think that's my job. I think at some point, we got to love him enough. And I'm not trying to negate any responsibilities. But I think at some point, we got to love him enough that whether anybody's looking, whether anybody's listening, it's just about me and him. The danger of drifting the danger of drifting. Can we just slip out of our seats? Amen. The dangers of drifting, they're real. They're real. They're real. They're real. Let's hold on because the current of this world is so swift. Pulling. Swift, swift, swift. Pulling. Ever pulling, ever pulling, ever pulling. In the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.